Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Before I get started, I just want to announce to you some book some books that have released this week that I think are exceptional. Um, of course, there are a lot more, but here's a start for you. Um, Michael Williams um, released A Fall in Autumn. I love that title. I love that title so much. Um, Jane Risden announced Undercover, released Undercover Crime Shorts. Um, Samuel Gailey, who I'll be speaking to a little bit later on, released The Guilt We Carry. Uh, Carrie Dalby released Perilous Confessions. Josh Pachter released Amsterdam Noir. I, I highly recommend this book. Um, Amy Hicks just brought her book out yesterday called Cold Streets, uh, Dark Streets, Cold Suburbs. I highly recommend that. Eric Beatner, All the Way Down, n- always a sure bet with, with Eric. And Dave Putnam released The Reckless, another fantastic writer and a really nice guy. Um, Ashley Knight. Uh, co-wrote a book with David Wood called Harold. Um, go and check that out. Um, uh, C.J. Sherry wrote Alliance Rising, which is kind of um, speculative fiction. And uh, along the lines of science fiction, maybe space opera, you might enjoy that. And um, The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict is a fiction story about Hedy Lamar, who, by the way, was brilliant. And S.A. Cosby, My Darkest Prayer. Um, but today I'm very, very excited to have with me one of my colleagues who's also an award-winning writer. She holds an English degree, a degree in English literature. She's the author of Anatomy of a Darkened Heart, Brotherhood of Secrets, which are the the first two books in the Dark Victoriana collection. She's got loads of other books, loads of stories. She's an award-winning poet. Um, she also is the host of Creators Edge Writers Showcase, which is a bi-monthly video cast here in the Authors on the Air Network. She also hosts the Writers Edge, a monthly panel discussion that is live streamed on writing and publishing. In 2016, she was the official NaNoWriMo YouTube guide on YouTube. She's been featured everywhere. I'm thrilled to welcome my friend and colleague, Christy Stratus to the show. Hi, Christy. Welcome for your first time to Authors on the Air. Thank you so much, Pam. It's so wonderful to be here. You know, it's so funny because I feel like we've known each other forever, but we I don't think we've ever actually spoken on the phone, have we? This is our first time, but I feel the same it, way. I feel like I've known you for a long time, too. <laughs> so, listen, um, the first thing I have to ask, with all the things that you do, you're, you're – at least three times uh, a month doing a video cast on YouTube and, and um, which are spectacular, by the way, you're interviewing authors who are the part of creative edge um, publicity, really a terrific group. You're writing your books. How do you manage to do all these things and still, I don't know, have a life. It's a great question. Sometimes I don't have an answer to, but (laughs) for the most part, um, you know, I do schedule blocks of time for myself. And um, Mm -hmm. so I will spend probably my largest amount of time on my editing company, which is called Proof Positive, and you can find me at proofpositivepro.com. And um, so I spend most of my time actually editing other people's work. And then I will schedule um, on different days 
I'm pretty strict with when I write um, my questions for other authors who I'm interviewing, my questions for live stream discussions. And once I get into trying to come up with those questions, uh, whatever I'm doing, once I'm into it, I need to stay in it. So I can't really just, you know, do a little bit of something and move on to something right. else. So, you know, when I spend a solid amount of time on one thing, I get it all done at once, and then I can move on to something else. And I've found that this is the best time management strategy for me. I used to multitask a lot, and it was really bad for me. Does it work? <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? Uh, you know something? I, I feel the same way. I think that I'm not giving the correct amount of time to uh, the project that's sitting in front of me. So I don't like multitasking. I do have a list of things to do, but I don't make my list any more than five things at a time because I mm. feel overwhelmed. Do you do that as well? Yeah, that's a really good strategy. I know there are some technical terms. I don't remember what they are, but having a list of high-priority things and then, if you want, having a secondary list of lower-priority things, that helps me um, because one of the things that's most frustrating is when you have a list that you can never actually throw away. You just you can't finish everything on it. And it's, uh, it really makes you feel like you're not getting anywhere, even if you've actually accomplished quite a lot. So I do find that really, really helpful. Yes. Um, so your priority is your editing or your writing? My editing is my priority, and my writing comes second to that. Um, I treat them both just as seriously, but um, now that I, I actually left my full-time job um, this past year in 2018 and um, I've been doing my editing business full-time so because I'm doing that full-time and, and not uh, a typical salary job um, my writing has actually become part of my income as opposed to just something that I do because I love it um, so that pushes me to write more when I can and um, I have to say that it, it, it's a really great way to think of it to get yourself, if you have any trouble with motivation, thinking of your writing as part of your income, I have found really pushes me to make the time for it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your, your acquisition. You are an acquisitions editor for a press who, um, who specializes in urban fantasy, romantic suspense, historical romance, and contemporary romance. Um, how did you get involved in doing that? Is it because of your uh, your editing work? It's, it's an interesting story, actually. I went to um, the – there was a LSFW, Liberty State Fiction Writers, conference last year. And I had brought my books, and I was interested in – um, trying to pitch. I've never pitched before, and I thought it would be a good experience. So um, I tried it out, and that was interesting, but that's actually um, not what got me uh, and that job. What ended up happening was I, I did those pitches in the hope that someone would be interested in my work. I did get interest, um, but then afterwards at the book fair portion of the conference, I ran into the Yellow Press's booth, and that's who I um, acquire manuscripts for. And uh, I, I mentioned something about my own books to them when we were talking, and they asked if they could see it or what it was about, and I actually happened to have a copy. And I gave it to them, and they really liked it, and that's actually how I ended up working with them, it, a bit indirectly through my writing instead of my editing business. 
Um, you say on your page that submissions should be agented or they can not be agented, but should include a query and the first 10 pages of the manuscript pasted into an email. So I get that part. Sometimes um, uh, acquisitions editors look for the first three chapters, but I can understand that you can really tell a lot by the first 10 pages, just like if you pick open a book to read it, you know, you generally know in the first <laughs> couple pages, let's be honest, if you're going to like it or not. <laughs> my, my question to you, though, is about the query. Now, I had a young lady on here, had her first book published at 17 years old. And um, she went to a lot of pitch fest. She w pitched a lot of editors, of acquisition editors and all. And she said she finally learned to do her pitch in 30 seconds. Tell me what your best recommendation for a query letter is. It should definitely um, bring the action forward. Um, I want to make sure, what I'm looking for actually uh, in a query is that this person, whoever is submitting, has um, a cohesive thought sequence and, um, you know, it would surprise you the number of queries that you really can't tell what the story is about or the point of it or where it's going or the genre doesn't seem clear. I'm really looking for clarity. Um, I'm looking for, you know, even in not necessarily um, the blurb, but even what they're just writing to me, I'm looking at how they communicate and how they write before I move on to actually reading the sample. And that will help me sort of understand where they're coming from and um, what I think is coming, what, what to expect. And um, I, like I said, clarity is really the biggest thing I received um, many emails where I'm really not sure what exactly I'm going to be looking at when I look at that sample. And I still read the sample. It's very rare that I would just delete a query because it's not well written. Some people are not great at emails, but they're really good at fiction writing. Um, but I would definitely say being able to express themselves um, clearly so that um, when we communicate, if I was to acquire someone, when we communicate, I know I'm not going to have a problem um, with understanding what they're trying to say to me and me getting my message across to them and them understanding it. So actually, um, just the basics of email writing is also very important when um, when we sure. a query letter. Yes, I, I get I understand that. I get a lot of requests for interviews, uh, and the emails don't make any sense to me. The spe there's spelling mm. errors. There's you know I we have everywhere on all our social media to include a copy of the Amazon author page. Some people don't know what an Amazon author page is. You know, <laughs> I just want to look and yeah. see if, if people have fulfilled their role as their own promoter too. Um, when you look at a query or even at the first 10 pages, are you looking for a big burst of action right away? I, you know, I know that the advice, is that uh, action right away is important, and it is in some genres. The only time that it's not is here and there when you have something that's more of a contemporary fiction, um, romance type of thing, anything like that, where I, I can replace the action with emotion. And as long as there's something um, very active happening, it doesn't have to mean somebody's chasing somebody else or literally being active, but if I see immediate tension, if I see immediate um, very fast character development that's done very well, 
um, if I see an immediate problem that, you know, develops quickly, anything along those lines will draw me in fast. Now, the longer we take to get to that, the less interest I have. And, um, you know, I will still read the 10 pages, you know, but if you're taking too long to get into it, I have a lot of, uh, of submissions to read. So, of course, um, I'm only going to take so much time um, to see. I may end up reading sure. half of it. It's really not going anywhere. But, you know, as long as there's – when we say active, it doesn't have to be literally someone running around, but it does have to have tension or development right away. Immediately. So mm-hmm. I want to talk to you now about your books because you have what is called a dark Victoriana collection. I'm thrilled about this because one of my favorite people um, – Professor David Morrell, who found, co-founded the International Thriller Writers, and um, who's just an amazing man, uh, writes Victorian-era thrillers, not romance, but thrillers. And um, he said he immersed himself in that world for a long time before he started writing. He does so much research that he wanted to be sure his dialogue um, – his descriptions, his characters, clothing, everything was appropriate for the time. How much research do you do when you are writing in the Dark Victoriana collection? I would say the same as him. I do do a ton of research. And sometimes, you know, I have to um, just drop the research for a moment and write creatively. But um, there have been times when I've done that that I go and then research afterwards and find out something that changes the whole scene, you know, or changes the story. Um, and that can make it difficult, like um, in Victoria times, changed very, very quickly back then. So it's, it's not just, oh, look, let me research Victorian times in general. Um, Victorian America is harder to research, I've found, and that's what I write in, Victorian America. And then mm-hmm. um, you need to go down to the decade, and if at all possible, the year. The more granular you get, the more accurate your story is going to be. So I do do that. I have a lot of primary resources like actual cookbooks from the time. Um, you know, wow. I have other housekeeping guides from the time. And, you know, while when you read my books, you won't see straight up, they use this for that, they use this for that, of course. That's not great writing. Um, it's worked in there in ways that, you know, if somebody is scrubbing a floor, well, I need to know what kind of a floor was it? What kind of a brush would they be using? Was it a brush? And what kind of solution could they use? And uh, what did it do to the floor? Was it called, you know, if there's a rug, was it called a floor cloth? Right. The mile cloth, which one was wealthy? Which one is on the more middle class side? You know, there's actually quite wow. a lot, you know, more that goes into it than. Um, a lot of people might think who don't write historical fiction. So I do dig in very deeply. What surprises you most when you read historical fiction that's not your own? I think um, that's a great question. Uh, I really like reading um, medieval historical fiction also. I I can enjoy any historical fiction, but it is those um, really tiny details or if there's historical fiction that includes an actual historical figure and somebody has done such in-depth research that they really know the character of that person um, well in the way that um, they'll write according to that person's character and not what they want to happen in the book. Um, and that's 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 not all over the place, of course. You know, to some degree, you need a historical figure if you're going to include them in historical fiction to do what you need them to do. But the best of the best are going to look at that historical figure's character 
in real life and say, would they really do this? Would they really speak to that, you know, this person or that person or anything like that? Anybody who puts that kind of amazing detail, which is what I'm going to be attempting with my next book, actually, um, you know, I, I find that incredible. Um, I you write in the Victorian period, uh, even though it's it's Victorian America. Um, do you happen to like steampunk? I haven't read too much of it, actually. Um, I think it's an interesting concept, of course. Uh, I haven't read too much because I am very much a purist when it comes to that kind of stuff. I I can enjoy, um, you know, subgenres like that, but uh, it, I guess it's interesting to read, but I haven't really delved deeply into it myself. Interesting. Let's talk about your books, Christy. Um, you've, you've kind of switched your professional emphasis to your editing and acquisitions, but that does not mean you're leaving your books behind. Um, tell us a little bit of an overview of your Victoriana, dark Victoriana romance. Sure. It's the dark Victoriana collection, and it is um, psychological suspense. So uh, the ah. first book, and me, yeah, the, the, both books and actually all the books that are going to be coming up are heavily character-driven. They are um, heavily psychological. And so um, each book sort of has a different kind of psychological theme. And Anatomy of a Darkened Heart really revolves around what is stronger, people's assumptions about you, the environment you're raised in, or your true self. And so um, that's what we're seeing as we follow the main character, Abigail Whitestone. And we see that in other characters around her as well. Her whole family is in it. But that's the focus there. And then with Brotherhood of Secrets, the second book, that focuses more on cult mentality. And the question it's looking at is how far would you go to have a family for those people who have lost their family or who have left their families because of, let's say, abuse or something like that? Um, It's an interesting question. And so my books are... They are dark, and um, the next one to be coming up, the third one, um, doesn't have an official name. It will have a little bit more of the mystery genre mixed in, and you know, as each with each book does have crossover characters. So even mm-hmm. though the collection in each book is a standalone, it's much more interesting to read it as a whole, to read it as a sort of a series, um, because you can see that interesting crossover and characters coming in and out, and um, that's what's gonna, you know the next book is actually going to take as a main character a a smaller role from Brotherhood of Secrets. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really enjoyable. I'm also going to be writing short stories. Um, The Dark Victorian Collection has expanded so much more than I wanted it to, even though I I originally planned, even though I've only published two books so far. I have just so much that I wanted to do with it. So you're juggling your schedule to to write your books. Um, Are you editing your own work? I mean, other than just you've got your draft down, you know, your first draft, and then you're going through editing. Do you turn your own books over to someone to edit for you? I turn my books over to my senior editor in my own company. (laughs) Wonderful. So um, it's great because we have a very close relationship, and um, it's, she's extremely honest with me. She understands what I'm going for and um, it just makes everything so comfortable and easy for me. It's, she has wonderful insights. It's a great experience. 
I, I, I'm glad to hear that because when someone tells me they leave their editing up to their beta readers or they edit it themselves, I'm always nervous because uh, in my humble opinion, what I see when people leave it up to beta readers is they're using the same betas all the time and um, they don't pick out flaws. To me, your friend shouldn't beta read for you. It should be a totally neutral party. And and then yes. you go back and make changes. But, but you have to go to an editor. You have to have editing done. Uh, you know, I, I read a lot of books out of NetGalley and um, get a lot of galleys or what people call ARCs, advanced reader copies. And I'm stunned at authors who are well-known and it's not in any one particular genre who I feel like if they had an editor reading it, it was probably their kid. And there's nothing that turns a reader off more than something that's not well edited. And um, when I find a book that's really tight and there's no mistakes in it, I can overlook a lot of other things. You know, I can, I can overlook the speed bumps that normally get to me. So when you're editing other people's books, how do you deal with dialogue that doesn't work for two characters? Or the dialogue sounds exactly the same out of the mouths of two separate characters? I always advise the author. um, This has happened to me, too, in my writing. So the good thing about being an, an author and an editor is that I've experienced most things that other authors have experienced. So I usually Uh um, have a better idea and understanding of the solution. Um, You know, usually it's that somebody doesn't really see them, the the two characters as that different in their minds. It's different how they sometimes, you know, put it on paper, but in their minds, they're seeing these characters as too close sometimes. Um, Sometimes they end up melding and they just don't mean for that to happen. And that means that um, there needs to be a lot more, um, distinctive characteristics added in there, whether that means that one character need, needs to be made, um, you know, their personalities are too close, their likes and dislikes are too close. I always say go back to their psychology and um, where they're coming from. What is their background? Um, how did they get where they are today? How did they meet each other? You know, and there should be enough of a difference that when you write, the, when the author writes the dialogue, it starts to come out more naturally different as long as they understand um, the actual background and the actual psychology of that character. It's that, interesting you've said that. I, I, you know, I, because I think that the tone, the timbre, the type of vocabulary a character uses is very, very important to differentiate. And mm-hmm. I, I have often said this. I think authors should write their dialogue, speak their dialogue out loud or have someone read it to them because then you can tell when, when there's a blip, have someone read your dialogue to you and see if you can tell who the characters are. Cause if you can't tell, I can't tell. And, and if I have, you know, the, the classic trope of the alpha male who's, who's finding his woman and they sound exactly alike, but that just isn't cutting it for me, you know? <laughs> That's exactly right, and there's nothing more frustrating than that. There's also um, yes. sort of where somebody gets caught up in a scene, and they, you know, I've, I've seen where there will be, like you said, an alpha male talking to his girlfriend or just a friend who's a girl, and um, they'll make him, even though he's an alpha male, he's really aggressive and everything, 
they will accidentally transfer the femininity over to that alpha male. Yes. Um, because yes. they want him to be sympathetic, but you can't write for convenience. It has to be real, and it has to be in the character's real voice. The guest before you, um, S.A. Crosby, uh, Crosby, he writes um, noir crime fiction, and he is the type of writer who has so distinguished his characters that um, he doesn't say, like, she said or he said, doesn't name the characters. There's just a quick line of dialogue from each one it's like a back and forth like a witty repartee and because he's so good at writing dialogue you know who the character is that's speaking to me that's the mark of a master who can do that I, I yeah when I when I'm reading a book I just finished one as a matter of fact um by Lorelai James she was wonderful you knew who was speaking the whole time the lead female and the lead male she did and she had big blocks of dialogue. And, and surprisingly, the male had a lot of dialogue in there, more than the female. You never had any confusion about who was speaking. I think, to me, I don't care about your background scenes or anything else. If you're writing great dialogue, you're telling me a story. That's right. I totally agree with you. And the dialogue, just as much as any movements characters make in yes. really great fiction, should clearly define who the person is and how they feel at the same time a lot of times. And um, throw away movements, you know, just to have some movement in a scene. If you can take those movements and make them symbolic of the character's feelings, the character's yes. mood, anything like that, that is so much better than just throwaway movements that are thrown in all the time. I agree with you. Action and but action for a purpose is important. Let's talk about Creative Edge Writers Showcase. I have to say that um, when you came on board and as the executive producer of this network, I never once had to say anything to you. It was like a joy. I just said, "Okay, here's your page. Have fun. Go do it." And you did everything. <laughs> How do you like being a talk show host? Oh, I love it. I really do love it. It's a lot of fun. Um, I get to meet so many interesting people, um, and I, I don't think I'd meet quite so many if it wasn't for shows like this. This is, um, you know, I do Creative Edge authors, like you said, Writer Showcase. Um, but, you know, even listening to shows like yours, anything like that, it, you know, introduces me to authors I never would have known before. But getting to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, as you know, is a whole other experience. You get to ask questions yes. you want to know, but you're also focusing on what your audience would want to know. And when you research them, really, you just find the most interesting interesting things here, you know, you're going to their website and their blog and any articles that we yes. get about them. And it's just a pleasure being able to also remind them sometimes of things they've said in the past that they may not remember that were really great pieces of advice or, you know, great achievements that uh, they got early in their career, things like that. It's just such a pleasure um, to get to talk to them and get to know them that way. I know. What, um, you know, what is your favorite thing to ask um, I like to, well, I, I really like to, if I can find, if they have a lot of blog posts or anything like that, if I yes. can dig into, yes, blog posts and find something very distinctive, something very yes. them, I like to bring that up and ask them about it, um, either in the context of what, what's going on um, in their lives now or what they were thinking then or how it applies to, I don't know, other authors' works anything like that, and um, it, it's really interesting because 
you can't get that answer from anyone else. This is not a standard question yes. that can be applied to just any author. They have to answer in their distinct way, and that is definitely my favorite. I, I agree with you. Um, now, you have something coming up in March, a, a meet and greet for, for readers and writers. Um, literary, literary. Some, you have a literary event coming up. Um, Did I read that on your website? A, yes, you're right. There is a, yes, thank you for reminding me. There is a <laughs> uh, Liberty State Fiction yes. Writers Conference coming up. That's the one. Um, yeah, that's, ooh, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, I will be there. I will be there with City Owl Press. And um, I will be, for the first time, actually having people pitch to me in person. And that's going to be really exciting because um, I've done pitches once, but uh, I really love trying to discover new talents and talking to authors one-on-one, and you can build, um, you know, permanent relationships based on these kinds of things. Whether yes. It's, you know, even when you meet people on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, it's surprising um, how you can meet just kindred souls like that. Or sometimes Absolutely. you meet someone that, you know, even if you're not going to be publishing them, you can offer them some really good advice that could then help with their career. So I, I'm really excited about that. Will you tell everyone where they can uh, find this conferences and where it is, please? It's going to be in New Jersey in Islin, um, or, you know, it's going to be at the Renaissance Hotel there. And um, you can go to their website. It's lsfwiwantosay.com. Um, but you can look up Liberty State Fiction Writers, and you will find them right away. And when you click on their website, um, that it's going to give you all the conference information, where it takes place. It's usually from a Friday to a Sunday. And, of course, you can go as long as you want, but um, it's, it's a great opportunity to meet other authors. I went last year for my first time, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go here always because I had such a wonderful time. And tell everyone where we can find you on the webs, please, and where your shows are and where your Patreon page is. Thank you. Um, it's, you can find me at christystratus.com. That's my website. And I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash christystratus. Um, there I, of course, offer many tiers, and you can see uh, a lot of my writing before anyone else does cover reveals, all kinds of things for as low as a dollar a month. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, always under my full name, Christy Stratus. And um, for The Writer's Edge, you can find us at thewritersedgeshow.com. We're also at facebook.com slash thewritersedgeshow. And, of course, I'm also on Creative Edge Writers Showcase, which is thanks to Pam everywhere that you can hear podcasts pretty much. <laughs> and, um, you know, you can also find us and authors on the air on Facebook. Um, we're also always on SoundCloud. And, like I said, anywhere else you can find podcasts. And in YouTube. You're on YouTube, too. So you're, yes, you're everywhere. I am on YouTube. Uh, yes, under my, my name, Christy Stratus, and also under The Writer's Edge Show. Very good. Christy, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like now we were friends before, but now we're sisters. I've just decided it was really great speaking to you and learning all about you, particularly about your editing and acquisitions. I think that's really going to be important down the road a ways. And your tips for authors when they pitch and when they send in their first 10 pages. I'm so glad that you came today. Will you come back sometime? Absolutely. It would be such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Pam. This was absolutely wonderful. Thank you, and Happy New Year, and much success in all your different adventures. Thank you so much. You too.
Okay, and that's our show for tonight, folks. I want to thank Christy Stratus and Creative Edge Publicity. They are wonderful. Mickey Mickelson is a fabulous, fabulous guy. And uh, thanks for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. Good night. Mm -hmm.